Men, do your neighbors know you are Catholic or is your external faith segmented to a Sunday at mass only existence? We are called to live our faith boldly beyond Sunday. Today, we are joined by two men that have focused a lot of their lives over the last few years to not only live, but also help men live their Catholic faith 24 seven. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gentleman Podcast. Today we are joined by two gentlemen that I know quite well, uh, Adam Minihan and David Niles. Uh, to many of you, they need no introduction. They are the hosts of the Catholic Man Show podcast. Um, but they are also uh, co-founders of a Catholic radio station here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They live right down the street from me, unfortunately for them. Um, but, but, uh, no, it's, they, they, they are good friends and, um, they're husbands and fathers who take their faith very seriously. Uh, and they have dedicated a lot of their lives to evangelizing, but also, uh, into developing, uh, cultures of faith at home. And so today we're going to talk about their new book focused on the domestic church and see what they can teach us about, uh, living your faith in your home and creating a Catholic culture in your home. So thank you so much for being with us, Adam and David. Yeah, man, it's a blast. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's it's great to hang out with you outside of Friday mornings. That's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, have, we meet every week for breakfast on Friday and uh, it's always a highlight of my week, so. I just wanna say everything I know about the domestic church I learned from Sam, so. <laughs> Thanks for letting me come on your show, Sam. <laughs> I've taught you well, young Padawan. <laughs> oh, well, but yeah, um, it was yeah. really, it was really great to. We've never written a book. This is our first book. It was very hard. We're not pros uh, like you are, Sam. Uh, but fact, I have, I have a deeper respect and appreciation for you. In fact, we're not. We're so not pros. We actually had to have four authors to write one book. That's true. So. Really? Tell us about four yeah, authors tell us about those four authors yeah yeah so uh, I have multiple personalities and so <laughs> exactly. uh, well we thought you know if we're gonna write a book about the domestic church it would be it would be beneficial for for everybody if we brought our wives into this uh, experience as well so my wife and I uh, and Dave and his wife we all got together and started writing the book uh, we started we started with like Dave and I would write a chapter and then our wives would write a chapter and then me and my wife would write a chapter. His wife and him would, would write a chapter. And then we, kind of, we just kind of mixed it up. So that way we'd get a, a very wholesome and, and very uh, different perspectives of the domestic church uh, all in each chapter. Yeah, Got it. Yeah. That sounds complicated, honestly, but I'm glad you pulled it off. Uh, <laughs> this is a much needed book. Um, I guess just to get started, uh, like what really sparked the desire to write a book on this topic uh, and maybe give us just a, your definition of what this whole idea of a domestic church is. Yeah, it's uh, a great question. So uh, to me, the domestic church is simply the life of faith lived at home, right? That, that the being Catholic, being Christian, following the life of Christ is not something that takes place, you know, just when you go to church on Sunday. Even if you go to daily mass, my faith, shouldn't be just at mass. The, all of my life is the thing that builds that desire and builds, you know, that um, relationship that I find and, and strengthen when I go to mass, but everything, you know, being a Christian, it encompasses every moment of the day. There's nothing you can do to escape it if you're doing it the right way. And so obviously when we go home, that's where we spend most of our time. So we need to make sure to put an intentional effort into making those spaces, the activities that we do there, sanctifying them by having them participate in that Christian life as well, because otherwise you're essentially living two lives. Um, so the domestic church is just how we, how we live out the faith at home. That's what it, I, mm -hmm. and we, we kind of got started 
doing this, originally we were writing some articles that um, on the domestic church, we were kind of doing a series for a local magazine and we said, Hey, you know, this is going really well. We should take this and expand on them and turn it into a book. And so that's what we did. So we can have kind of bring it to more people. Yeah. Excellent. And so, I mean, was there something in your own uh, daily lives or something in your, I mean, I guess the question is, did you see a lot of men and families not living a domestic church or beyond Sunday, as you guys aptly call in your in your title, that that caused you to even write that series for the local um, paper. Yeah, yeah. So I think that if you asked most men, they you, you ask them, "Would you want to increase your prayer life?" They'd say, "Yes, of course." And then I then the follow up question would be, "Well, how are you going to increase your prayer life?" And then that th- there's like this blank stare, like deer in the headlights kind of look most of the time where. The idea is like, yes, of course I would like to. But then it's like, well, how do you practically do that? Well, I'm not really sure how to practically do that. And just because of, uh, you know, our, our, our ministry with the Catholic Man Show, and Dave and I grew up together. Uh, so our families grew up together. My parents and his parents are best friends. Uh, we went to the same parish together here in Broken Arrow. Uh, we, we grew up together in the same neighborhood. We went to the same high school. We lived together after college. We started the Catholic radio station together. Um, and then now we live across the street from each other and our, our kids are our best friends. So like we have a, a lot of history together. And so we had a great foundation from our, our, our parents. Our parents were very active Catholics, uh, in the community. Um, and so we have a very similar story. And so we had a lot to pull from, from our parents and from just our, our, our personal background of, of, of how to, to live out kind of the domestic church. Yeah. And I'll just say like, for me doing the the Catholic man show together has been such a blessing for me. I guarantee you, nobody else has got more out of that show than I have mm. just because it's made me, you know, like at the end of the day, you have to come up with something to talk about yeah. every week. Right. And so that means you end up doing all this research and uh, investigating the faith in a very active way. Um, and throughout that process, I've just grown so much in my faith. So in many ways, this book, was written to myself seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the me, because I was, a, I, you know, before we started the show, I was taking my faith seriously. Um, I, you know, I had a long way to go. I still have, you know, a long way to go in my faith, but um, I've just learned so much. And so I wrote this book, we wrote this book to the people who say, hey, you know, I want to be Catholic. I want to I take my faith seriously. I, I, I want that. You know, I recognize the good and the beauty, I see the, the beauty in that life. How do I do it? So we wanted to just say, hey, here's some things that we're doing well that have borne fruit in our families. And I, I think that they will work for you as well. That's great. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, seven or eight years ago. I'm, I'm interested in that because like, I think for every Catholic dad that like takes their faith seriously, there comes a moment when you're holding that child in your arms or, or like you just, you, 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 you wake up to the fact of the huge responsibility that you have as a father, like, and even if you're not a person of faith, you still feel that responsibility. But if you take your faith seriously, you feel even more like I long to pass that down to my children. Like I long to hand on a heritage of faith to them. But, but you've mentioned like this kind of this deer in the headlights look that a lot of guys have when you ask them, oh, how, okay, that's awesome, but how are you going to do that? And like, I have no idea. <laughs> and like, right. um, you know, what was that awakening for, for each of you? And how did you kind of go about piecing together what that might look like for your family? Um, you mentioned the show and having to do research, but I, there's probably some other things you did too to kind of like get started with that. Um, were there any practices you like embraced or like, so what, what was that, when was that moment for you? And then what did you, uh, what did you do to kind of figure out what that was going to look like for your family? Yeah. I mean, th- th- those are, those are great questions. So I think the first thing that like, you know, seven or eight years ago, I mean, we're both dads, uh, of, of five. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey, Haley is, is, is pregnant. And then Pamela is, is pregnant about to, about to give birth. Yeah. She, she may have had the baby. By the time this episode comes out. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago was, was when we first became dads. And, you know, 
like you said, Sam, you're like looking at this baby. And I, somebody told me this uh, right before we had our first baby. And it just it really stuck with me. He's, he said, like, as soon as the baby is born, take a vivid memory of what you look like, what your wife looks like, what the room looks like, the feeling that you have when you hold the baby in your arms, what the baby looks like, just the smell of the baby, encompass all of your senses that you can possibly activate and remember that moment because that moment is going to be filled with joy. It's going to be filled with a lot of different emotions and you're going to need to recall that emotion, those memories um, as you're continually building up the domestic church because um, as you guys probably both know as well, it's not always full of, of joyful memory, uh, joyful emotions. Right. And so mm -hmm. um, that moment was a, a realization for me that at some point on my deathbed, the person who I have become will face the person that I could become, could have become. And so I wanted to make sure as a father that I was an, a, a producer that I was somebody who gave to my family and not a, a, a consumer. I don't want to be on my deathbed being like, if I would have just become this, if I would have just given more time, if I would have just taken my faith more seriously. Um, and so whoever gave me that advice, I wish I could remember who it was, but whoever it was, uh, I owe a great debt of gratitude towards because it was the, it was the moment that I realized at like, I have to take this faith seriously because the church teaches that we're the first preachers of our family, right? That that the 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 responsibility of father and mother to pass on the the faith to their children is their responsibility first and foremost. And so, if the church is, is telling us this is this is what you are uh, born, this is what you are, are called to do, you better take it seriously. This is your vocation. So those were the kind of the uh, that, that first moment for me of realization. Yeah. And just uh, just to add to that, I think Adam and I really have very similar stories. If you couldn't figure that out, you know, we basically spent our lives together. But um, in college, I stopped practicing the faith. I didn't become anything else. Uh, really, I just became apathetic. Um, I kind of thought, oh, religion, I'll get back to that someday. Praise God I did, um, because that's not the case for not, it's not the case for every soul who embraces the sleep of apathy. Um, so after college, Adam and I were living together and Catholic radio actually played a, a big role in my reawakening, if you want to call it that. Um, shows like Catholic Answers, Apologetics, yeah. um, really lit the fire back in me about, you know what, the Catholic faith is true and you can prove it. You know, actually, it's not just like a big mystery that you have to take on, you know, oh, take it on faith, as they say. No, it's actually, it's actually real. Um, Jesus was a person. He came to earth, he saved us, and like he started this church, and it's called the Catholic Church. You should be a part of it. So as I just took that personal journey back into the faith, then I got married, and all of a sudden, you know, the responsibility that I had was a lot higher. Not Even before we had kids, you know, now I have a wife that I need to, you know, help grow, and she's going to help me grow. And, and then for us, uh, children came along very quickly. Uh, our oldest was born nine months and one day after our wedding. <laughs> so um, awesome. praise God for that. Uh, so anyway, th there've been a lot of different things, kind of stages um, in my journey. Catholic Answers, I used to I used to listen to every episode of Catholic Answers. Yeah. Uh, kind of joke that I studied at the like the seminary of Catholic Answers. Even I didn't wasn't in seminary, but yeah. the the school of the Catholic. school of Catholic answers. Yeah. Um, but it, it has been, a, it's been a journey and it's like I said, our fifth child is getting ready to be born. The journey is long from over. So yeah. I'll, and you'll have to check back in in about 10 years. And I'll, I'll give you another <laughs> update. Is that your fifth or combined fifth? It's my, my fifth. Adam and I awesome. both have number five on the way. Oh, praise God. Well, that's that's yeah. a fun. Yeah. So you're you're catching up to to Sam and I because uh, we both have five. Uh, so um, it's a good number. <laughs> uh, awesome. You know, praise God. So honestly, <laughs> this is not. It was not really what was in my head uh, or outlined prior to this call here. But 
you, I was just reading Thomas Aquinas uh, a few days ago where he talks about friendship, you know, and the idea there is nothing more on this earth to be prized than true friendship because of the fact that it um, it helps you grow in virtues. It helps you grow in holiness. Uh, can you guys speak a little bit on that and how you guys have been able to help each other out and then maybe speak to our listeners that uh, that don't have good Catholic friends uh, to, to help them on this journey and maybe some suggestions you guys would give them because, you know, I'm admiring your friendship friendship and uh and it just seems pertinent uh, you know for uh for our roles as men and husbands and fathers trying to live as good sons of the church yeah i mean i credit a lot of of my reversion back into taking like you know not I, oh i'm not catholic but i am i live catholic i am like catholic is my identity who i am i am the son i'm a son of god i i take that very seriously and i credit um a lot of that to obviously my parents and grandmother who who continually prayed profusely for me to come back to the faith, but then also mm. um, uh, uh, David. I don't think that I would be where I am in my faith life today if it wasn't for him. If it wasn't for him uh, pushing me, um, calling me out when I need to be calling out, encouraging me when I need to be encouraged. Um, there was one time Dave and I were right after it was right after college. We were living together and, you know, it was a Tuesday. And when, if you're not married and you're just hanging out, you can, after working, like go to the, you know, go to the pub or, you know, go hang out somewhere and you can do right. anything you, you can want. do really anything you want. <laughs> know. You know? It, it was, was incredible. Like, though. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a wild day. It was a wild time. It's the best 20 minutes of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we were, we were both like, you know, we were kind of listening to Catholic radio again and, and we were kind of like, trying to figure out why, why are we not fulfilled? Why are we not doing, you know, why there's something missing. And I think Dave walked in one, one, one evening and he goes, Hey, Adam, I have this crazy idea, but hear me out. Don't cut me off. I'm like, okay. I'm kind of like on the edge of my seat. I'm not really sure what he's going to, what he's going to say. And he goes, what if this Sunday we go to mass? Mm. And I was like, Whoa. That's a that's a crazy it idea. Is kind of a crazy idea. You know, and it's like right. we, were, we were like really trying to you know come back into our faith, and we just didn't. You know, it was it was him taking on that that spur of the moment of saying you know maybe that Holy Spirit moment of encouraging me to go to Holy Mass again, uh, and so that was kind of the, like what what snowballed our faith journey back into you know into taking it seriously. And it, if it wasn't for that night, uh, who knows if that if you know God willing I would have come back anyway, but who knows? And that, that played out throughout, you know, the last, the next 10 years of our lives, um, where each one of us, you know, at one point in time would, would push each other excess 90. Uh, we both went on excess 90 together. That was a huge turning point in both of our prayer lives of, mm. you know, yes, of course we say in the rosary, you know, we're doing, we're doing auxilium Christian orum, we're doing all these things, but are we developed? Are we, are we truly having a, a, a true friendship with Christ? You know, are, do we have a relationship with Christ? You know, uh, holy friendship in this life prepares us for the friendship that we will have with Christ in the next, right? This is, this is like Christ yeah, has given us the, the, yeah, the, the gifts of our, 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 the gifts of friendship to prepare us for friendship with him in eternity. And so uh, I, I, I just can't credit Dave enough. I, you know, I think next time, you know, when we get on the other side of the veil, we will we'll actually see the, the, um, the benefit it is to have holy friends, uh, the benefit it, that, that it, I mean, this is why Sam, Dave and I, and, and a couple other guys, we meet every week together. You know, we meet every week and a lot of times we don't have an agenda. We don't have things that we're actually going to go over, but it's more of like, Hey, how are you doing? Hmm. You know, it's, it's just a, how's your prayer life? How are you doing? How's, you know, your work life How's family How's you know, just like, let's check in on, on each other. Let's, let's help each other. Let's be there for one another. Um, and so, uh, I can't credit Dave enough for that, but maybe you can. Yeah. So the, the, the value of a friend, uh, I mean, go back to any culture, uh, it, cultures that were leaving writings behind. Some of them were writing about friendship, you know, uh, goes all the way back to Cicero. Um, so, I mean, I, I imagine that's one of the universal things is that people in every culture have, uh, glorified the benefit and beauty of a good friend. Um, 
And you see, go back to, you mentioned Aquinas, go back to a different father of the church, Augustine, obviously, you know, and he's in his confessions, he's writing about as he, when he was a kid, he went and stole this fruit from with his friends. He did that because the friends he was with were reinforcing him in that direction. Yes. Um, then, you know, later on, he meets another friend who reinforces him back and, you know, like brings him back into Christ. And so the friends that you're with just have a way of reinforcing your decisions, you know, good or bad, right? So that's why it's really important that we choose good, good, holy friends. Good, holy friendship is, is, uh, it's a foundational thing to have, especially when you look at things like your domestic church, right? Um, because the domestic church is not an island. Um, when you, when you look at the, when you look at what is the church, what is it for? It's exclusive, but it's also inclusive. Okay. So you, you set yourself apart. The domestic church is sacred. The family is sacred in as much as it's set apart. The word sacred means set apart. Okay. So, um, my family is set apart from the rest of the world because the, if you want to be in my family, you have to be these people. Okay. It's a very exclusive group, but the purpose is not, oh, to exclude the world for the sake of my family. The purpose is to build up my family for the sake of the world. Okay. So that the family and the domestic church, it's actually ordered outward, even though it seems like it's all about excluding things and this, you know, small group of people doing the things that are only here in the home. You do those things with those people so that you can actually build up the church, which is this broader, broader thing. Um, one of the things we get to in the book is how um, the domestic church is ultimately ordered towards hospitality. Mm -hmm. And so I, I bring that up because friendship plays this foundational role in achieving these things. Okay. So it's hospitality that ends up building a community that turns isolated houses into a neighborhood where you actually build friendships, um, where evangelization can take place. Um, because chances are your neighbors aren't all Catholic, right? Um, and praise God, you have someone very easy to uh, witness to. You know, you don't have to like invite them over and be like, all right, before we have dinner, I'd like you to I'd like to invite you to join the church. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe you do that. I don't know. That's like a pretty bold move, but um, you know, just the, your witness, hopefully, you know, the beauty of your family life, um, the joy that you have because of that. And you should be joyful. Um, Christ wants you to be joyful. So if you if you don't feel joyful, maybe uh, go talk to somebody about that, get, get a spiritual yeah. director, but, but friendship has a way of building up these virtues in us. And bad friendship has a way of destroying these virtues in us. So right. um, we have to really analyze the people we're spending our time with. Are they really good for us? Because if they're not going to help us get to heaven, then, um, you know, probably need some new friends. Yeah, I heard someone say once, like, you're maybe it's overstating the case. I don't know, but you're the sum of like the three closest people to you. Um, and this idea that we're formed by those relationships that are close to us. And, and so just switching gears a little bit, just to get a little bit practical um, about how to get started. So like a guy's listening to this and he's like, this is all awesome. I love all of this. I, I want to do this. I want to be that leader in my home. I want to start setting the tone um, that we take our faith seriously as a family. And I, I, I want to do that. But where do I begin? Uh, what do I do? What's the first thing I should do? Like, should I go like start a home altar? Or, like, should I just, you know, start praying all the liturgy of the hours? Or, like, what, how do I do this? And so I guess, uh, what did you, what did you guys do to get started? What, what would you recommend people, you know, what, some of the advice you give in the book? Yeah. So I think this is an easy answer. First thing you do is pray. So if you don't have a prayer life, no matter what you do, it will be fruitless. Um, if you don't have that committed prayer life where you're actually building a relationship with Christ, Adam mentioned Exodus 90. Um, Exodus 90 is what taught me to pray. I was, before I did it, I was spending a lot of time in prayer, saying prayers. You know, I had the, I said this devotion in the morning. I said my a rosary throughout the day. I said these prayers at night with my wife. Mm -hmm. Um, but I realized I was saying a lot of prayers and I wasn't actually 
praying. You know, I wasn't spending any time listening to Christ. And so um, I think that uh, if, A, if you don't have a prayer life, and then you try to incorporate beautiful uh, traditions in your family with, you know, beautiful religious uh, traditions, that your kids, they will know, dad isn't really serious about this. And it ends up becoming like an oppression on your family. Your kids don't view it as something that really it's real. It's like this thing that's being forced on them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important that it needs to be, it needs to be something that you do because you're in love with Christ. Yeah. yeah. I, I just yeah. want to start there. Yeah, because the, your prayer life will then uh, set the tone or the pace uh, for for the rest of your day, right? So if you start off in the morning with prayer, then that, and you give time for the Lord to speak to you throughout the day, that will have penetrated what you've done throughout the day and like lead uh, you to what he wants you to do, right? So uh, again, let's go back to the, the example we said, like, do you want to pray more? Yes. Okay, how are you going to do it? You know, so Dave, Dave said, like, first of all, you have to have your own prayer life. And then I, I highly recommend, you know, have a separate time for for you and your wife right? Your individual prayer. One of the best things that I did when I first um, became uh, married to my wife was I built a pray do and I set that pray do right at the foot of our bed. Now there's a lot of like a a kneeler. If you don't know what pray do is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a kneeler. And so there's a lot of uh, like theological significance of putting it at the foot of the bed, but the main, uh, you know, another main reason why we did it right there is because we can't go to bed until we, we bypass that kneeler. You know, mm-hmm. and so we can't go to bed until we pray together. Now, not everybody can do that, right? Not not everybody can build a prayer to or, or, or kneeler, or, or they may not have the room or whatever. But you can have, you can sit outside a sacred spot for you two to pray. Now, what is that going to do? That's going to bleed into if you have children. That's going to your prayer life is now going to bleed into, and they see you praying, right? You know, the kids come down early in the morning. Maybe they see mom and dad praying on. That's the first thing they see. Right. Uh, Elizabeth, the first thing she sees when she walks out with Elizabeth is, is Dave's daughter. First thing she sees when she walks out is dad kneeling at the, uh, you know, uh, in prayer. You know, this is a beautiful image, right? This is what John Paul II said what was what his cause to his vocation to the priesthood was seeing his dad kneeling in prayer in the morning. Right. So this, this is going to pay dividends um, throughout the course of your family life. But then also it's like, OK, now we have. Uh, we have this prayer life. I have a prayer life. I have a prayer life with my, my, my wife. How do I, how do I bring that out to my family to where it's not this obnoxious, you know, anybody who has uh, a lot of kids or young kids, the idea of, Oh yeah, let's all, all go pray a family rosary. That all sounds wonderful. Right. Uh, and, and it can be done uh, and it can be done well, but until like, you start until you, and then you're like, <laughs> you're like, how long until this is over? Right. Like, it's also it's like, an you know, occasion for sin. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, you know, like, never mind. Everybody to bed, go to brush your teeth, That's go to bed. Right. You know, like, you know, cause it's like they're climbing on things. You know, this is just not, uh, it, it's really tough to do. Right. You know, it's just, it's not, I, I'm not discouraging it. I think that we, you know, I think we should strive towards that, but can't figure out why your one year, one year old won't kneel and be still. Right. Yes. <laughs> We're praying. Yeah. Why is my eight year old not levitating yet? This is ridiculous. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, but so I like to try to incorporate family prayer on, in times that we're already spending time together, right? So the family dinner table is is a perfect time. Obviously, you pray idea. you pray before before meals, but as we're eating, this is a moment of uh, of time that you have captured where they can't really go anywhere, right? And you have their attention because we're sitting at the dinner table together. So what I've done is I, I put up a whiteboard. Then this is something again, not everybody can probably do, but I put up a whiteboard literally right behind, right by my dinner table. Okay. And so I, I am able to teach my family a little bit as we're eating either, you know, something from the catechism, the Baltimore catechism is a beautiful place to start mm. teaching your, your kids. It's great for kids. Yeah. yeah um, and, and for you just to, to yeah. brush up. Um, but it's a, it's a great reference point, right? So um, why, did the, why did God make you to know him, to love him, to serve him in this life so that we have eternal life with him forever in the next, right? So like, there's all these things that you can teach them on the whiteboard where there's a visual learn, learning thing. And then right at the end of dinner, let's conclude dinner together, right? Let's, let's have a family dinner and then let's conclude it together in prayer. So what we do is we write up on the board everybody's name. Then we have a, a column of prayer intentions and then a column of intercessory saints. So each person with it within the family writes what they would like to, or tells me what they would like to pray for through what saint. 
and we all go through. Okay, so dad would like to pray for his business meeting tomorrow through the intercession of St. Thomas Aquinas. Mom, you know, for homeschooling tomorrow through the intercession of St. Uh, you know, Maximilian Kolbe. You know, we're, we're Luke going... obviously wants to pray for his godfather. Right. Yeah. Godfather normally makes it makes it on there quite a bit. So we all go. He needs through... a lot of prayers. Um, he needs a lot of prayer. Yeah, this guy that, right here. That is true. Um, but we all go through. There's a significance here, right? So we all go through and pre uh, say, here's what we'd like to pray for, and here's the intercessory saint that we'd like to pray for. Now, what does this do? This gives us a reminder for the next 24 hours. Oh yeah, Luke is a, uh, is nervous about a, a school test that he has coming up. I should help pray for that. Oh yeah, Dad has a business meeting that's coming up. Uh, maybe at noon when they're you know together and Dad's at work, they can pray for Dad, um, knowing that he has a business meeting come up. So it, it teaches each other to pray. It teaches us to pray as a together as a family, but then it also teaches us to invoke saints into our prayer life, you know, to teach us like, oh yeah, there is a patron saint of school. There is a patron saint of, you know, basically every occupation that there is, you know, so it gives us an opportunity to enter. 10 10 of everything. Right. Yeah. So it gives us the opportunity to introduce the saints to our children and to get them practice that the virtue of of prayer, that the the habituation of calling upon the saints uh, to to pray for us and pray for our intentions throughout the day. So that's just like one same you asked for like what's a real concrete practical example yeah. of how to increase your prayer life. That's just one thing that we do that I found is very beneficial and efficacious for our family, uh, and it's really paid dividends that I didn't realize we're we're, we're going to be cashed in. Basically, everything in the domestic church comes back to prayer. Um, it's not about oh let's kneel down and pray all the time, right? Um, sometimes it's about feasting, and sometimes it's about fasting. People know that oh obviously fasting is a form of prayer. So is feasting. Feasting is a is a prayerful activity, just like fasting is. Um, That's my favorite form it's like, of prayer. Yeah, yeah. It's ontologically, it's it's higher. Ontologically, it's a yeah. higher form of prayer. Right, because uh, eschatological or heavenly realities supersede earthly. Or natural realities and uh, feasting would rep, you know, is in fact that uh, heavenly reality. It's right. the eternal feast of the Lamb. So, uh, yeah, I agree, Sam. Chocolate cake is my favorite prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Pray and praise God. And when you live a when you live a liturgical life, or you know, liturgical living is kind of another hot hot button keyword. Uh, term, whatever, yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that is popular today, that goes along with the idea of the domestic church. That whatever the liturgy is of the day, that is going to inform and shape our home life. Okay, so if it's a Friday in Lent, we're not going to be having dessert. You know, we're going to be obviously no meat. Um, and it's a great practice if you can make every Friday throughout the year a meat meatless meatless day. That's just mm-hmm. a good. I think it's a beautiful tradition, a constant reminder throughout the year that, hey, Fridays are different. Why are Fridays different? Well, because Jesus died on a Friday, right? The same reason Sundays are different because Jesus rose from the dead, right? Sunday is the best day. And that's a phrase we say a lot in our house, like, oh, can we do this? Yes, because it's Sunday and Sunday is the best day. You know, like, can we have dessert? <laughs> of course we can have dessert. It's Sunday. <laughs> Sunday's the best day, right? Um, and so like a lot of times this living liturgically, it ends up coming like, all right, this is another great day to have cake, uh, you know, because it's like, oh, maybe it's the Feast of St. David or, you know, St. Uh, well, Adam, Adam, the, the original <laughs> man, he's actually on the liturgical calendar mm-hmm. um, as a saint. Um, it's, but it just is a constant reminder of that the things that we're doing are informed by the liturgy and that that means that our whole lives are this offering to God. Okay. Once again, that everything we do at home, whether it's dining, whether it's cleaning, whether it's playing, whether it's learning, they all should be done as this gift to God. And the domestic church is where it all takes place in this liturgy because the domestic church has its own liturgy. And that's what we're trying to teach to our kids. And it all comes back just to kind of wrap up this long answer to your question to your prayer life, that if if your kids don't think, if they don't interpret dad, like, oh, dad doesn't have a prayer life, then they're not going to have a prayer life. They don't want one either. But if if they do see, and I hope that um, fathers out there can try to organize their day so that their kids see them praying, I think that's actually very, very important. You're not praying so that they'll see you, but you pray 
so that they will see you. You know, um, that's not why you're doing it, but hopefully you can do it so that they will see you doing it because that's a, that's such an important lesson. When they come out and see dad on his knees, that I, I just, you cannot replace the lesson of that sight in the, in the, you know, to a child. So by them seeing dad pray, knowing dad prays. That's a man of prayer. Okay. Dad, all, you know, one thing I know about my dad, dad prays. Uh, they're going to want to pray. And then that takes, once again, that prayer life takes so many different forms and it's so beautiful in all the different ways that it comes up. Yeah, that's excellent. No, I appreciate that very much. I want to ask any of our listeners, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, drop comments. Uh, Adam gave us a great idea of what he does during uh, dinner and how he lives that out as uh, as the father and as the head of his family and love to hear your thoughts. Um, uh, so I want to talk about relationship. We've been talking about prayer and we've been talking about a little bit about relationship with wives and a little bit about relationship with um, with our children. But I feel called that um, and talking about the importance of your relationship with your wife, because I've heard it both in more predominantly uh, with the, the female or the wife being trying to be the leader, the spiritual head and the leader of the family uh, in our modern uh, day. Um, but um but also with men who maybe are trying to pray the family rosary, but their wife's not fully on board and their kids definitely aren't if your wife's not. Um, and we've all experienced that. So I'd love for you guys to talk about um, kind of that relationship with your wife, uh, the importance of it and things to do on a regular basis or uh, to progressively grow in this uh, domestic church or living beyond Sunday with your spouse. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, obviously, we, we, you know, we had mentioned that, you know, praying with your wife uh, and having a, a, a habitual time of prayer together is really important. Um, also having, uh, you know, date your wife, you know, take time to spit like what made you fall in love with your wife? Well, whatever that is that made you fall in love with your wife, you should take time to do such things every, on a monthly basis. Because if you are if you're a man who is like, maybe you didn't take your faith life seriously. And maybe now all of a sudden you're like, you realize, nope, this is, I'm the head of the house. Uh, the tone starts with me. That transition a lot of times doesn't work very well um, unless uh, they know how much you care, right? They don't think, they don't know. You can go through the motions. Oh, something's different about dad. We, he's trying to do this whole prayer thing. But uh, if you're not spending time with them, if you're not loving them, if you're not, you know, nurturing and, and being with them, spending time, wasting time with them as, as you know, this is a very leisurely activity, uh, then they're not, they may not take that seriously. And so you need to go back and, and be, a, um, you know, what, what made you fall in love with your wife? Well, whatever those things are, set aside time throughout the month to, to go do that once, you know, one time a month, if you can, maybe, maybe it's only one every two, two months, but, but spend time quality time with your wife now what's like what that is going to do is uh create this relationship this bond that, that you already have cultivated and hopefully it's still you know burning and everything is good is, is going well but if it's not this gives it an opportunity to go back to realize like no i i, I love you and i love you for who you are and I, and I love you so much that i want you to i want to spend eternity with you in heaven you know and and and, and god wants us to spend eternity together with him in heaven and so I want to lead us to do that all together because I love our family so much. So I think you got to make sure that you, you, you spend time, you set time aside to date your wife. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a husband, then your wife is your vocation, right? Uh, there's a temptation to get distracted by your children thinking that, Oh, the kids come first. Actually they don't. Um, my father-in-law has a really great saying um, that, it, you know, talking to his children about his wife, he said, look, I chose her. You guys just showed up later. Okay. And I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> um, but the, the, the mother is the heart of the home, right? If the husband is the head of the home, then the mother is the heart of the home. It's your job as husband and father to provide a space where she can blossom. Okay. Because her, her children desperately need to know the love of a mother. They need to, they need to know the love of a father, but the, the way that they're going to grow up when they're seeking relationships of their own is how did dad love mom? That's how they're going to say either I need to love a woman the way dad loved mom, or if they're, if they're girls, they just say, I'm looking for someone the way, you know, they're going to look for the love that they saw emulated in their father. So, um, 
you need to make sure every day to have mom as a priority. Like in my house, if you want to incur the wrath of dad, then talk back to your mother in front of me. Yeah. Like that is the, like your world will end if you do that <laughs> because nobody talks to my wife that way. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're one of my kids, right? Like, in fact, that kind of seems like it's worse if you're one of my kids, you know, to talk to my, to my wife that way. Cause she gave birth to you. All right. So you kind of owe her more than the neighbor kid. Um, yeah. but I don't care who you are. Nobody speaks to my wife in a way that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and because she is my responsibility. So if I am not going to uphold her dignity, who is? Yeah. One, one, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And one of the little things that my, my father did really well, that's an easy thing to do. This is like a practical, very easy thing to do to start. Uh, my father, when he came home from work, the first thing he did before uh, changing clothes, before saying hello to all the kids, he walked straight over to my mom and gave her a kiss. You know, and so these are, this is just a, a very small example of setting the tone for the family of saying, the first thing I do when I come home is love your mother. Now, from loving your mother flows into loving the children. You know, uh, it sets the tone of, you know, of love within the home. So, I mean, this is, that's a, something very, very simple that every man can do and probably should do is go home from work and kiss your wife. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of hard to, you know, when you come in the door at, from work, you know, and the floodgates open and the kids are like, daddy's home. Oh my God. And they're like running. And it's, so such, that, it's such one a of the best, thing. it was yeah. like one of the most beautiful moments in, in life. Um, but to like receive them and say, okay, before I say hello to you, where's your mom? Mm-hmm. You know, and like, they will quickly very learn. They'll learn very quickly that who, who the priority is in the home and that it's mom. And you know what, that, I think a lot of people who are kind of not used to this concept, uh, sometimes they're a little scandalized or offended at this idea. Like, well, aren't your kids going to feel rejected by you? They won't. When you uphold the dignity and like, when you uphold their mother in love this way, they are, they in no way feel rejected. In fact, I think they, the children tend to feel validated in knowing there's such a security in knowing that dad loves mom. Okay. And they need, the children need that security. Um, it doesn't make them feel unloved because you're not rejecting, you're not refusing love to them, right? You're just saying your mother is my first priority. Where is she? And then, and then welcome and, you know, and then smother the kids with kisses, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's just great. It's yeah. the best, best moment of the day coming home from work. Well, and that's just it. If our kids aren't learning the pinnacle of love and, um, you know, in this life between husband and wife, they're going to look to the world uh, to teach them love and relationships. And that's so that's the wrong place. So, you know, I just love hearing that from you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, and the, that idea of security is so important. Like it, there's nothing that's more anxiety producing to a kid than knowing that mom and dad don't like each other. Um, and maybe they're arguing all the time, you know, screaming at each other. Like that is terrifying for a kid. But on the flip side of that, like knowing that mom and dad love each other a lot and they show affection to each other in front of us, like, oh my goodness, like just get, uh, just kids just feel so safe and secure in an environment like that. Mm-hmm. There's one other thing I wanted to point out too, and I, and I, that I think is so important, um, with, with husbands and wives is just using the bad things or the, the seemingly bad moments to grow as well. Like those moments of friction, those moments of, of tension. Like, even if you're doing a lot of those things that you guys were talking about, like those moments can still pop up, but that doesn't mean that you have a bad marriage or like, you know, we had an argument, so it's all, it's, oh, our marriage stinks, you know, like, no, like you can use those to grow too. Cause just like in your body, like what, where there's a pain, there's a hurt or something like you, you know, that's where the healing needs to happen. Like that's where you need to give uh, extra attention. And sometimes frictions can come up in our marriages, but even those can be opportunities to grow stronger and, and really listen to each other and really understand each other. Um, and say, how can I serve you better? And like, and, and so even those can be moments of, of growth of both recognizing our own wounds or the wounds of our spouse and then growing stronger together through kind of encountering that friction. So so uh, it can be those beautiful dates, but it could also be um, even an argument can be 
healthy and healing if you use it in the right way and accept it instead of of uh, as an, a learning opportunity instead of just a, a, a negative thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, Sam, uh, let me just yeah, let me just comment on that real quick because you're yeah. you're so right. I mean, I think a lot of most people have probably noticed how terrible children are at apologizing, right? They go up and they're like, sorry. And, you know, like, but uh, that's because maybe, you know, they need to have good examples of it. Obviously, nobody alive right now is perfect. I'm pretty sure. I mean, uh, just I'm willing to bet. Yeah. Uh, So, you you know, you're going to have mistakes. Your kids are going to make it's great. Your kids are also going to make mistakes. And who do you think they learn from? You know, how do they think they learn how to handle those mistakes? Well, by watching you handle yours because you got them. Um, And so when you, yeah, when you need to apologize, don't make your apology a secret. Okay. Uh, If the mistake wasn't a secret, then the apology shouldn't be a secret. Whether you need to apologize to your wife or you need to apologize to your children because I've had plenty, plenty of those where it's like, hey, Elizabeth, you know, I really overreacted earlier. I misunderstood and I'm just, I'm very sorry. I, I shouldn't have you know, I shouldn't have talked to you that I shouldn't have gotten so upset or whatever, you know, they need to hear that. And that models for them. This is how you apologize to a person. Right. And this is actually, we have a whole chapter in this in our book called the language of the domestic church. Right. So like there's a language of the church, you know, the, the church whenever you're at, on Sunday in the liturgy, there's a language in the liturgy, but there's also a language in the home. Right. One thing as men, we have to stop doing is talking bad about our wives, mm-hmm. right? That like, if you have a friend that is talking bad about his wife, even if he's saying like, he's just trying to vent or something like that, you, you stop him right there because you took, you took a vow in front of God and, and the church to, uh, to honor and to uphold her. And there's no honor being given by talking bad about your wife, mm-hmm. you know, to others. So even if you do, like, like Sam was saying, like, of, of course, there's going to be times of friction. Of course, there's going to be times of uh, a frustration or maybe or you know a, a disagreement but that doesn't mean you get to go and talk about that uh to your friends and vent and, and talk bad about your wife because it is your duty as a husband to uphold her with honor and dignity yeah yeah absolutely um it's so beautiful and i love that idea of like modeling forgiveness you know like i've apologized to my kids when i've lost it you know unfairly or whatever and but that idea of like uh modeling healthy relationships like i heard i've heard people say i never saw my my dad argue with my mom and 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 while on the surface that sounds like a really wonderful thing at the same time like i think it's actually really good for kids to see parents maybe have a disagreement i'm not saying argue in front of them on purpose but but if something comes up like show them that there can be repair there can be healing there can be forgiveness there can be um, restoration of that relationship. There's been times when, you know, maybe I've gotten a little frustrated with my wife or she's gotten frustrated with me and we like say something tense to each other in front of the kids, but we make up. And then later that day, maybe we're, we're hugging or holding hands or something. And like the kids see that like a healthy relationship can have tensions and disagreements and still recover and be healthy and good and loving and that forgiveness is healing. And so I, I just, I think that's such an important thing. And I'm so glad you have a chapter on that mm-hmm. in your book. I think. Yeah. I mean, that's right, Sam. The, and just because you have a disagreement with your wife doesn't mean it has to be like this, you know, argument, right? There's, you're going to have disagreements and learning to handle those. Well, I mean, that's great for your children to see because uh, that's what, that's like a really essential skill that children are learning is conflict resolution uh because children have a lot of conflict whether they're like <laughs> hitting each other with stuff or fighting over who's got you know the toy like uh learning how to confront and deal with conflicts between your relationships in life is like one of the basic human elements you know like without that skill you won't have any relationships okay you will be spending a lot of time with your own Netflix subscription or something <laughs> like instead of, you know, at the bar with friends or, you know, anything else with friends. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for my last question, I just wanted to talk to you, you guys mentioned at the beginning, was it um, at the heart of the domestic churches is, is hospitality? Is that what you said? Um, 
or, or service. Yeah, so the church is it's like, ordered like, towards like ordered, hospitality. Yeah, the end goal is hospitality, right? Like, because we were supposed to go and evangelize the whole, all the nations. But yeah. again, it goes back to like the prayer life. You can't give what you don't have. So you need to have it within the home in order to share it with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I want to, I want you guys to talk a little bit more about that. I know that uh, in your book, you talk about service and then you talk about hospitality as that end goal. Um, you know, how does uh, living the domestic church and these relationships, and obviously this prayer life, our relationship with Christ really lean us towards that reality and ultimately a, a happy, more joy-filled, more loving experience um, in this world on this side of the veil. Yeah, do you want to talk about how how you threw a block party? You want to do that? Yeah, so uh, uh, Adam helped me throw a block party earlier this year, um, which I had never done before, and I'd always wanted to go to a block party, and I decided, well, I guess I'll have to throw one. Um, it was actually not that hard. You know, you, like, get a bounce house, um, and you print off some invitations that says, hey, come to the block party. And uh, we were able to get a guy to, in the neighborhood – who has a business to sponsor a keg of beer. We had nice. some hamburgers, boom, instant party. Yeah. Um, but it, it was really, really great. You know, um, you realize as your, as your children start to, to grow that you actually have a vested interest in the domestic churches of the other people in your, the other domestic churches in your community. Um, that it's, it, you cannot actually isolate uh, because at some point you realize I need a good young man who's to marry my daughter, um, you know, if she's not called to the religious life. Um, and, and I think in most cases, probably, you know, our children will, will uh, discern the vocation of marriage. So if, the, if there are not other good domestic churches in the community, um, well, that's going to be a problem for you. So you can't, you actually have this vested interest. I have a vested interest in the lives of Adam's children. Um, because I want his boys to grow up to be very eligible young men for the sake of my daughters. And I want my son to grow up to be an eligible young man for the sake of other people's daughters and vice versa. Um, and so it's so important that we have a holy domestic church. Once again, the heart of the domestic church is the love between the husband and the wife, but it's that bears fruit in children and all of this is ordered towards this idea of hospitality, that where there is love, love seeks to share itself, okay? And hospitality says, I, I have something good, let me share it with you. Come in and, let, and share with me the goods that I have. Please come in, join us, right? And so, you know, in hospitality, you become one of the family for that moment, for the evening. Um, everything that we have is at your disposal, um, and if it's not that, then it's not quite hospitality, right? It's not an authentic hospitality because that's really, that's really what it is. It's this overflowing of love. Um, it's a very Trinitarian in that way that, you know, in the Trinity is just this outpouring of love, um, that is life giving. Um, and so that's why the domestic church is so important because it is the thing. It's the bond of community that will, that will, um, essentially that it's going to build up the church, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to, and it, without it, evangelization is hard, almost impossible. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a very natural evangelization when people come up to you and say, hey, you have such a beautiful family. And when they see the, you know, the joy, when they come over to eat and like, wow, why are things different here in your house? What is it about it? Because the domestic church, when analyzed and done well, has a way of ordering our life. It has it orders relationships in the domestic church? You know who is the father? Who is the mother? Who who are the children? What are their roles? Because like Adam said, there's a liturgy, and that means just like in the mass, sometimes the priest says and does something. Sometimes the people say and do something. Okay, um, think about just being at the table. There is a liturgy here. Uh, there's a right way to say things. You know, when to, children and adults, they, you know, this is when you speak, and when you speak, this is what you say. Um, and these things are good, and they, they build love and beauty in the home. And so that's just one example of how it's ordered. And all of these things come together, and uh, they, they play this massive, important role. Really, I think um, a good litmus test for the domestic church is the dinner table, that 
the way children and, and adults, the way a family conducts itself at the dinner table is a really good litmus test for how things are going everywhere else. Because you, you know, when you're, when you're playing, when you're doing all these things, that is a, teaches you so many lessons that you get to practice at mm-hmm. the table. Yeah, I guess, John, to bring it back, you know, full circle about we started out with holy friendships, right? I mean, this is something that we first started out with. And when we were all young, right, John, when you and, and Sam, when we were all young, we went outside. We're not, we're, no, I said when, when we were. Right, we're not young anymore. Huh? Right, no, we're not young anymore. Uh, when, You're right. when we walk out, when we were kids, we were out there playing. Like, it's like you pointed in, the, like, there's the Smith's house. That's the Johnson's house. This, yeah. this house over here, you know, you had, you knew all the neighbors, Right. Everybody, you knew that their last names, you knew who they were, you knew how many family or how many members were in their family. You knew all this stuff. Well, today's world, that's just not the case. Right. I just like I walk outside and it's like, I, you know what? I don't know who those people are over there. Um, so we need to be able. Luckily, our wives usually do. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, our wives are really good at this. <laughs> but we need to we need to provide this atmosphere to be able to, to learn and, and welcome people into our home. And to be able to share our lives with one another, because like what ultimately, like what Dave was saying, uh, it's important for to one of the most important things as a father I have come to reala- realize is being able to provide my children with good friends, right? Because of um, the relationship that I have with Dave and how I, I realized how much I've grown in my life because of my friendship with him. I want that for my children. And so you don't... You, if you let your kids go out and play and you don't know who they're actually playing with, you don't know who the family is. You don't know what they you know, what they believe, what they don't believe, you know, you, you don't know who they are. It's hard to know whether or not they're actually cultivating good, holy friendships or not good, holy friendships. And so we need to be able to provide this atmosphere to, of hospitality to bring people in to not only uh, show them the love of Christ, but to also get to know them and get to know, uh, you know, what their beliefs are. So that way you can make good, sound, prudent judgments on who my children should be spending their time with and who they shouldn't be. I love all that. And uh, the last thing I was just going to say is I love this idea of like the dinner table being a great litmus test for like the liturgy of the home. And like um, for us, like I just got this icon, one of my favorite uh, holy icons for like the wall in our dining room of, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's Andre Rublev's Trinity. Um, it's an icon of the Holy Trinity and they're all sitting around. They kind of look like angels, but, um, but they're all sitting around the table. Uh, and mm. there's, a, there's, a, there's like a cup in the center that they're all sharing, which is like significant signifying communion, but it, they're, they're kind of forming this half circle, but the way the viewer is looking at the image, it's almost like you're sitting in the fourth place. Mm. Like oh, you're cool. being welcomed into this, table that they're sharing and i think it's such a beautiful image and i think too it's like this idea of love radiating outward of like love wanting to be shared like you were saying and and like the communion that we have around our dinner tables as families is so like the communion we share at mass doesn't really mean anything if you don't have that communion at home and like that communion you have at home though brings a whole new significance to being welcomed into the family of God and being welcomed to that communion that we all share at mass. And uh, I think that's such a, a beautiful image for the relationship we have with each other, but also the relationship we have with God and with the Holy Trinity um, as, as a relationship, a community of love. Yeah, Sam, I think, I think you're right. Um, and the table, I think part of the reason why the table is so important to me is because when I grew up, etiquette at the table was very important right you know like you know you tend to have the way you were raised you tend to think like those that's the way it should be done you know so um i but i do see the that the way you behave at table i can't i'm not 100% certain if it's the way you uh behave at the dinner table teaches you how to behave everywhere else or is it the, the way you behave everywhere else teaches you how to behave at the dinner table i think it might be both uh, but one, um, another interesting thing we do just on that note in the book is we talk about the different rooms in the house and what they're like, the purpose of them, for instance, like a dining room, um, actually sanctifies this idea of dining, because what you're done is you're saying, you know what? Dining is so important. We have a room that that's all we do. That's it. All we do is dine. 
and maybe sometimes laundry <laughs> in the dining room. Um, but uh, the so we go through the rooms and talk about how okay, you know, this room is ordered towards this. Uh, but at the end, you come to the living room, and the living room is the best room because it's the only room in the house ordered towards the person. So all of the other rooms in the house tend to be ordered towards a natural need within the family, whether it's eating, sleeping, um, other uh, biological necessities. Um, but the the living room is a room that's as such that just the very being together is so important that we have a room where that's all we do. We just are together um, because the person, the other one, you know, the other here is so important that I want a room just to be with you. Well, wonderful. Well, as we're coming here to the end, we want to hear uh, where we can find this book. Uh, we'll drop it in the show notes, but uh, let us know. I know that there's pre-orders now. Um, when is it hitting mailboxes? Uh, we actually just, right before this interview, uh, Ascension Press called us and said uh, they're now shipping. So there's no more pre-order. You Thanks order, God. you go to Ascension, you go to Ascension Press um, and they, you'll be able to start ordering it today. Awesome. That's exciting. And Adam is, is one of the only authors I know of who actually designed the cover of his own book and the publisher liked it enough that they <laughs> used it, which is incredible. It is. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. It, it's really nice looking. So uh, order it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for writing this book and for joining us today on this episode. We're really uh, grateful and blessed by your presence and by this um, uh, this book that you wrote. And uh, we hope all of our listeners uh, grab a copy of it. So thank you. Thank you guys for yeah. having us. It was a great time. I appreciate it very much. Love your ministry. Love uh, love what you guys are doing. And uh, always, always promote it on my end. So we're grateful for you guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, as we like to end every episode. Be a man, be a saint.